All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for the way you've been encouraging those who are around you as you've been singing with the uh, praise team with Derek. Thanks so much for uh, the songs that we've been picking out, uh, not only uh, today, but uh, man, during this last, these last few weeks, appreciate that uh, so much. And again, thanks you for being with us and for joining us online. Those of you who cannot be with us today in person, we are thankful to have you as a part of our remote campus joining in. Uh, you're as much a part of our congregation as um, anyone else, and we're so thankful uh, to have you to have you with us. You know, we're in a series that's right now talking about discovering and living out our best life. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, who doesn't want to live their best life? I don't think there's anybody watching online or hopefully no one who is here this morning that's like, you know what, I want my worst life. You know, if I could just live my worst life, that would, be, that would be fine. I don't know anybody who thinks that way. We make decisions and we make plans that are all designed to lead us to the best that life has to offer. Now, here's the cool thing that we've been finding out as we've been walking through this series. The cool thing is that God wants us to experience life at its best. It's really true. In fact, God has promised to guide us to our best life. The Lord has said in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. God says, I want you to experience it, life at its best. And I'm going to guide you to where you need to be. I'm going to advise you along the way. I'm, I'm going to remind you of different pitfalls to avoid. And, and I'm going to keep a watchful eye on you. You don't have to be afraid. There doesn't need to be anxiety about what's going to be happening next. Because after all, if Scripture is to be believed, and I believe me, I believe that it is, well, then God's our designer. He's our creator. And so doesn't it make sense that God would know better than me where I could find my best life? Doesn't it make sense that God is the one that would be able to direct me to where life and life to its fullest could be found? And so the whole premise of this series is that, you know, in life we have tried everything else. Why not give God an opportunity to show us what life can be? So if you were with us last week, you might remember that we took a little time looking over the shoulder of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to Christians who live in what is modern-day Turkey. And he told the audience that there was a time when, for all intents and purposes, that they were dead. He said, you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. He wrote to them and said, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. He reminded his audience that there was a time that they thought their best life was found by following all their individual cravings and desires. So whatever the people wanted, they just went out and did. Whatever they thought they did. They lived for themselves, for their own pleasure, for their own satisfaction, for their own consumption. And Paul says, look, the way that you're living, that lifestyle of no constraint and no boundary, he says it's a dead end. You thought you were living it up but you're only killing yourselves. And one of the main takeaways we had last week was the fact that a life that is lived only for oneself is really no life at all. You know, and, and I, I think we talked about how that, you know, it goes against all the different messages that are preached from the pulpits of entertainment and power. I mean, we're told constantly, just do it and, and do what you want to do and take what you want to take and you decide what's best for you and, and just go at it with all your gusto. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't consider anyone else's needs. You do what you want and think about your wants and your rights and your privileges. 
But yet you look around and you see the results of, of living in this way. And we have all this mounting debt that's just crushing us. We, we recognize the horrible addictions and, and overdoses that are present in our society. We experience firsthand the anxiety and the isolation and the loneliness, the paranoia, the depression. A life that is lived for oneself is no life at all. But thankfully, Paul told this original audience in Ephesians, he said that God wanted to and that God had rescued them from themselves. He said in Ephesians 2 and verse 10 that God had recreated them in Christ Jesus so that they could experience an others-focused life. He said that's what the best life is. It's when you're thinking about others. It's when you're focused on others. Disciples of Jesus are given a new beginning so that they can serve God by being a blessing to others. And from God's perspective, well, this is our best life. It's not to be served, but to serve. It is not to demand. Instead, it is to repay. It is not to consume, but it is to give away. And so that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and and I encourage you to open your Bibles there if you'd like to. There in your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, give. He said, give, and you'll receive. Now he's talking about how the lives of those who have willingly given themselves over to the kingdom of God, how these lives should look. And he is discussing a radical way of living. And he knows that not everyone is going to want to listen. And not everybody is going to want to hear. And so in verse 27, he says, you who are willing, you who are willing to listen, he says, give. Give love to your enemies. Give prayers for those who hurt you. Give your cheek over to the one who has slapped you. Give the shirt off of your back to the guy who took your coat. He says, give to anyone who asks. Give, give mercy and give forgiveness. Give money. You do all this, he says, without expecting anything from them. And in return, there in verse 38, he says, your gift will return to you in full. And it's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken together to make room for more. It's going to be running over. It's going to be poured out into your lap. Friends, generosity is to be the rule, not the exception for anyone who calls Jesus Lord. And so when we're thinking about living in the kingdom of God and discovering what our best life is, not only is it a life where we crawl up on the altar and give ourselves over to God, not only is it a life where we are totally others-focused, but it is a life where, well, it's a life where we just let go. And we are generous with the things that we have been given. Miss Hollis Sharp of Southern California used to take her miniature poodle out for a walk each night. And every time she went out, because she was a very conscientious citizen, she would always carry one of those little baggies, you know, along with her um, for, you know, any deposits that the dog might leave in a neighbor's yard. And therefore, she could, you know, clean everything up and just looking out for the neighborhood. Well, on the evening of November 13th, 1974, she and her poodle had almost arrived back home when someone jumped out from around the shrubs and took the bag from her, pushed her to the ground, and ran off with the spoils of his crime. Now, the police came, and, and Miss Sharp had a good sense of humor, even though she had suffered a broken arm, and she told the police officer, I only wish I would have had more in the bag for him. <laughs> uh, now, that's generosity, right? I mean, that is generosity. Perhaps you were struggling with this aspect of kingdom living. And it's understandable, because from the time that that we're young. We've been told to hold on and not to let go. 
I mean, you remember your first helium balloon, right? And you remember when you received it and your mom, your dad told you to hold on real tight and, and so you, you gripped that little string but, but your hands, they were already greasy from all the popcorn that you had had that day and, and before you left the park, all of a sudden that balloon was going up into the sky and, and you were watching it as it went higher and higher and tears were filling your eyes and, and you were demanding for, for another balloon, right? And the next time that you got your hands on that string, you held so tight that your fingers turn blue because you learned your lesson. And you've been holding on tight ever since. You've been holding on to family and you've been holding on to talent and you've been holding on to time and you've been holding on to treasure and you've been holding on to money. And Jesus says, all of you who are willing to listen, give. Give it away. Be generous with what I have given you he says, and I will give you more. I'll give you more so that you can give it away. And, and, and then I'll give you more. And guess what? Well, you can give it away. And, and it just continues more after more after more. And you say, well, Jesus didn't really expect anyone to actually live this way, did he? I mean, you read through and, and you see things Jesus said and we're like, well, that's hyperbole or, you know, he's just trying to really get people's attention. He doesn't really mean to live like this, Right? Well, apparently some of those first followers of Jesus took him seriously. Listen to how life after belief in Jesus is described at the end of Acts chapter 4. We're told that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, it just sounds crazy because here is a group of people who are selling homes and they're selling land in order that those who are in need among them and a part of their group can be cared for. So there's no government forcing them to do this. There's no, there's no law. There's no tax write-off. There's no benefit that they get from anyone that's around them. They're only doing it. Did you catch it? Did you hear the motivation that's there in Acts chapter 4? They were motivated for extravagant generosity because it says God's grace was so powerful in their midst. It says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there wasn't a needy person around. Generosity is my response to God's grace. And let me just go ahead and tell you, if I am not a very generous person, it's because I am not a very grace-filled person. And I don't understand what it means to live in relationship with God. You see, our giving is a reflexive response to the grace of God in our lives. It doesn't come out of altruism. It doesn't come out of philanthropy. It comes out of the transforming work of Christ in us. His grace is the action. And then our generosity, our giving, is the reaction. We give because God first gave to us. And now look, sometime later, the disciples in Jerusalem, those very ones who had been selling land, who had been selling houses, who had been helping out those who were around them, those very disciples fell on hard times. 
And so followers of Christ that were located hundreds of miles, thousands even, from Jerusalem have been asked for help. And for over a year, Paul had asked Christians living in what is today Turkey and Greece to set aside money each week so that it could be collected and carried and shared with the Christians living there in Jerusalem. And now the Christians in Corinth had said over a year ago that they would gladly give to the needs of their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. And Paul had told others of the Corinthians' enthusiasm, and yet he hadn't received their gift. The Christians in Jerusalem had not been blessed by the Christians in Corinth. So Paul wrote to these Christians in order to encourage them to follow through with their generosity. Now I want us to pick up reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you turn there, look at verse 7. He said, since you excel in so many ways, since, you, since you're going over and aboard in so many things, he says, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, he says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Now apparently the, the Corinthians, well, they could point to their faith and they could point to their enthusiasm and all their love and say, we're following Jesus and we're doing a great job. And Paul says, well, that's awesome. Can you now put the same enthusiasm that you're putting into your faith and that you're putting into your love, can you put that same enthusiasm into your giving? Can you do that and allow your faith in God to dis be displayed as you trust him to provide what you need. You see, we need to demonstrate what we know about God by giving freely like God. For God so loved the world well, that he gave. Now, I want you to notice that in verse 8, Paul doesn't say that he's going to force the Corinthians to be generous. He's not going to force anybody to, to help someone who's in need, he says. Instead, he points them to what should be the motivation of their very active service to God. He points them to the generous grace of Jesus. Now listen to him in verse 9. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know this. You've been in Bible classes. You've heard sermons. You've heard me talk about this. You know how generous God has been in your life. How that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his own poverty, he could make you rich. He says that Christ's grace defines and it motivates and it puts in perspective our generosity. So Paul goes on and he says in verse 10, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. And now you should finish what you started. Man, that's great advice then. It's great advice now, right? Can I get a little meddlesome for a minute? How many of you made a New Year's resolution here in 2021 that you were going to be giving more to the Lord and more to the kingdom? And you started out strong, and then all of a sudden there was something that happened to your washing machine, or there was something that happened at school, and there was an extra expense, or something came up that you didn't realize, and now the way in which you give to the kingdom, it, that amount has been going down and down and down and down. You began strong. Can you finish in the same way? How many of you, there was a time where, you know what, you were the first one that would volunteer and say, you know what, I, I want to... Um, 
I know about an individual, I know about a family that's really struggling, and I want to help them. I want to do something special for them. I want to make sure that there's food. I want to make sure that uh, there's supplies, there's things for school. I want to make sure that there's clothes. I want to be the one that steps up. That used to be you, and you started strong, but, but over time, but over time, because you felt like that perhaps you were the only one and you thought, well, maybe somebody else needs to step up to this, the plate this time and somebody else needs to, to give. Somebody else needs to be generous. And now, now you're, you're not so quick to step up and say, I, I'll, I'll, I'll help. Can you finish as strong as you began? Maybe you used to be the one that was always quick to say, you know what, we need to, we need to offer mercy first. Well, we, need to, we need to leave with forgiveness. You were the one that, that said, hey, you know, let's not be so judgmental. You know, we need to be the ones that step back and give people the benefit of the doubt. That needs to be who we are. Maybe that's how you began. But then you were hurt and, and then you were treated poorly. You said, well, you know, you can fool me once, but you're not going to fool me twice. And so, so you've held back now and you've held tightly not being willing to give what you used to. Can you finish strong and finish the same way that you started? He goes on to say in verse 11, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. I've told you guys before, God is not interested in what you would do with money that you don't have. We hear people talk a lot. It's like, oh, if I just had more, I would. God says, what are you doing with the little that you got? Who are you using it for? Who are you investing in? He's very interested in what you are doing with the gifts that you do have. And so Paul told Timothy, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and, and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He said instead, their trust should be in God, who richly gives. He richly gives all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, he said, to use their money to do good. And that word good there has an emphasis on the poor and the needy. He said they shouldn't be, or they, they, they should be rich in good works. Those works that inspire others. He said they should be generous, a word that literally means to be open-handed. You're letting the balloon go. You'd be generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, he says, by doing this, the individuals will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, get this, so that they might experience their best life. He says you want to experience your true life? You want to know what life is going to be like? After this world is over, it's not going to be a life with being, everything's being held to because you're about to receive the fullness of God's giving. He says, so why don't you go ahead and live that out right now and begin to experience now the true life that is to come. Guys, that's our best life. It's an others-focused life where we're, we are willing to share what we have been given. All right, so how do we do this? Let's kind of wrap this up and, and, and just get some practical things as we, as we head out this morning. First thing is this. If we are going to have a generous life, then we have to accept the generosity of God. We must be willing to do this because a grateful spirit is the result 
of a grace-filled heart. And if you have a difficult time accepting God's grace, if you struggle with believing that God's forgiveness and, and God's mercy will, well, it covers your past and your present and your future. If you view God through a, a rules lens, all right, as opposed to a relationship lens, then you will struggle with being generous because others will have to earn your gift. They are going to have to show themselves worthy of your time. They'll have to prove themselves ready for your forgiveness. They will have to show that they have lived up to your kindness. You see, if you're unwilling to accept God's gift of grace, then you will be unable to share gifts of generosity. The way you view your relationship with God will determine the depth of your giving. So the first thing, if you're saying, all right, what, what do I need to do to truly be able to live this best life? You need to be willing to give everything over to God and accept the grace that he offers to you. It's why every single weekend we have one of our elders in our prayer room in the back in our lobby. So that anyone who comes can have the opportunity to say, you know what, I'd like to, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what it means to have a life in Christ. I'd like to discuss a little more about what best life looks like when it comes with God. I'd like for somebody to pray with me. I'd like to confess and say, you know what, I, I, am, I have just been very stingy and I have hoarded up all the blessings of God. We have someone available every single weekend to spend time and to have conversation and prayer and to walk with you through the scriptures and to discuss what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we'd love for you each week to take advantage of that. Love for you to have an opportunity to do that. Because you first must be willing to accept the generosity of God before you can truly give it away. Listen to Titus chapter 3. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all those who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. If you do not trust in the graciousness of God, then you will never live your best life of generosity. Here's the second thing. Our generosity has to be intentional. It's a must. We must choose to use what God has given in order to bless others who are around us. You know, I mentioned earlier about uh, giving that goes to the kingdom, specifically perhaps the giving that comes, that comes here in the work of, of, of this church. You know, our elders have asked that we commit to giving gifts each week that total around $24,500 in order for us to continue our current level of kingdom impact. Well, as of today, we are approximately 30,000 short of our year-to-date pledge. That's only just a little over a week um, where, we are, where we are off. And of course, given all the different things that have been going on um, in our society and all the things that people are dealing with now, you say, hey, 30,000, that sounds, that sounds pretty good, right? It does. The only problem is, I'm pretty confident that in an audience this size, those who are watching, those who are here, there are those of us who started off strong. We started off strong in 2021, and, but then again, different things came up, and we just haven't given to the Lord the way that we, 
way that we should. You know, we have online giving here to make it easy for individuals to set up weekly, monthly givings. We have a giving kiosk that's out in our lobby, and, and we have giving boxes that you notice at the doors as you are leaving. And, and of course, we encourage you as, we are, as you are here to, uh, to give to the ministries that are present here at East Brainerd. We encourage you that, that when you travel, not to forget your gift and to be able to, 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 to give that the next time that, that you are with us. And I know that any time that, that money is talked about, sometimes people get upset and, and they're like, I, I don't know why churches are always asking about money. Well, churches ask about money because money is a sign of the generosity. Money is a sign of the discipleship of the people who are following after Jesus Christ. And while... Salvation is free. Ministry is expensive. And we would like to be able to do more. We would like to be able to share more and to work in other, other areas. And, and that only takes place as the members who call East Brainerd home say, you know what, I am going to live my best life and I am going to give generously to the kingdom of God. You understand, that's just one way that you are able to live a generous life. You can also say, you know what, I'm going to set up with my family, with myself individually, and I'm going to have a monthly blessing. Meaning that every month I'm going to, to pick out individual or individuals and I'm going to, to pay for their meals. I'm going to do something perhaps in secret that they don't know about to, to, to give to them. I'm going to host a date night so that they, I'm, I'm going to keep the children and give them my time so that a couple can go out and spend some time together. I'm going to buy or, or I'm going to make a special gift and I'm going to, to carry that. I'm going to deliver it. I'm going to share that with, with someone else. Each month I'm going to support a different ministry. I'm going to support a different individual that is working in a mission field somewhere. I'm going to, to look at what's being done already around Chattanooga and in my neighborhood and see where people are actively involved and being involved in the lives of others. And I'm going to each month go and, and give up my time or I'm going to give financially, but I'm going to do something because my giving is going to be intentional. Friends, nobody is going to force you to be generous. Only you can choose to live open-handed. All right, here's one more thing and we'll close. Our generosity must be impartial. All right? Don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to Jesus because this is the context. This is the context from Jesus saying, give and you will receive. Listen to this context, Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Jesus says, look, there is a way, there is a cycle there is this habit where everybody kind of understands that you do good to me, I'll do good to you. He said, this is the kind of way people live. He said, but the followers of Jehovah God are to be different. And there's to be something that sets them apart. And here's what it is. Look at verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great and you'll be truly acting as a child of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This is what Jesus says just before he looks at the people and says, Give and it will be given to you. 
You see, our giving is not to depend on the action or inaction of others. Friend or foe, we share and we share alike. So the family member that hurt us receives the same generosity, the same level of giving as the honored son. And the church member who will not speak to us enjoys the same kindness as our best friend. The co-worker who will not take the time to help you receives your added attention and effort. Why? Because you don't do as others do. You do as God does. That is a generous life. That's your best life. That's the life that we've been called to live. So two well-to-do Christians, a lawyer and a merchant, joined a party that was traveling around the world. And in Korea, they saw this field that was set along the side of the road. And, and there in the field, there was a young boy who was pulling a crude plow. There was an old man who was behind the plow handles directing him through the rice paddy. The lawyer was very amused. He took a snapshot of the scene. He looked at the missionary who was the interpreter and guide. He said, well, that's a curious sight. The missionary said, yeah, so that, that's the family of Chai Wen. He said, when the children, or excuse me, when the church building was being built, they were, they, they were eager to do something to help so there could be a meeting place. The, the homes, they everyone had outgrown. They wanted to have a larger place to be together, but they didn't have the money. So they sold their only ox and they gave the money to the church. And this spring, they pulled a plow by themselves. The lawyer and the businessman were silent for moments. And then the businessman said, and that had to be a huge sacrifice. They didn't call it that, was the missionary's reply. They just thought themselves fortunate to have an ox that they could sell. Church, what's your ox? What is it that you need to do without so that others can enjoy the generosity of God? Join me in prayer. Father, put on our hearts today. Put on our hearts today what it is that we need to let go of in order to live our best life for you. What is it that, we, that you have given us that we need to let go of specifically so that others can be blessed? Let us know, is it money? Is it our time? Is it, is it the forgiveness that needs to be given? Is it mercy? Is it some type of, of kindness? Is it some type of conversation that needs to be had? What is it that we need to give up so that others can be blessed by you? Reveal that to us. Allow us to know what that is so that we can experience generosity at its finest. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you have poured out on us, for your mercy, for your grace, for all of these things that we have in Jesus Christ. May we use everything that we have been given, whether they be physical or spiritual, in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. Fill our hearts with your grace so that we can fill others' lives with generosity. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to speak with someone about the generosity in your life, I encourage you to visit our prayer room as we stand together and sing and praise God.